And it's like I told Wit after the first two years, you hired me for what's about to come. Because what's about to come is the hard part. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I don't know if I could follow that one up. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. Pete, nobody's <laughs> looking at your tweets. I love our guys. I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot stop fighting the good fight. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Get you somebody not... that loves spruce tips as much as Pete does. Why did I pick Pitt to cover 14 points against NC State? I'm moron. Do we need to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility? 100%. I want to know what you're drinking, Rob. It is roasty goodness, even though I was What's out. What's the percent on that? 11. Smells like you're drinking like a cleaning solution. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. The end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthaud and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech beat Louisville 42-35. We had to hold on there, Robbie. How are you feeling tonight? I feel good. It was a it got a little stressful in that second half, but it was a bounce back win and a big one uh, against a you know pretty talented Louisville offense. So I I couldn't be happier. Yeah, I <laughs> I'm I'm very very happy we got that win. We needed it. Give us a cheers. Get us kicked off. Yeah, I'll cheers to just that the the bounce back we were all disappointed i'm still pretty disappointed about that wake loss especially now and the teams you know starting to get things figured out and we'll talk a little bit about the defense and what that means and the offense is uh a little bit of a one trick pony but i don't hate it so i think the uh the bounce back is is good and now you know we have a a lot to look forward to. We got a Liberty game coming up, so I couldn't couldn't be happier. So we'll just cheers to to a good win. Cheers. Yeah, we have a matchup against a ranked Liberty team on the slate for this week. How about that? They are number 25, one of seven non-power five teams ranked this week. Again, it's the same number as last week, but a little bit of a change to some of those names. I uh, I don't know what to think about Liberty being ranked. I, I was texting with you about it and just like, I think you asked me, are there 25 more deserving teams? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and maybe more deserving wasn't how you put it. I think you put it better teams. I think yeah. there are better teams. But undefeated is undefeated. A lot of pollsters look at that zero next to next to the loss column and just go, all right, that's that's good enough for me. So it's... I like it from a motivation standpoint for tech, though. Yeah, I think so. But we'll get into, and I think where you're going with it, we'll get into the S&P, you know, SP plus numbers and where they fit. But yeah, there's a lot of bad things that you can say about Hugh Freeze. He's a very good coach. He's yeah. one of the few people that has beaten Nick Saban two years in a row you know, when he was uh, at Ole Miss. And uh, so... Say what you will, but the guy can the guy can coach, and we'll we'll deal with what we have coming up here. So let's get to that AP poll just to finish it off. We did get some votes this week, but we're not back in. Only three ACC teams left in the AP poll after having six two weeks ago, because UNC is out because yep. they lost to Virginia. Clemson's one, Notre Dame four, and Miami is eleven, uh, and Clemson. Uh, they they were not looking so hot there against BC for a little while, but managed to uh, to pull it out in the second half. Um, without Trevor Lawrence, 
they're still pretty good. And that, that backup QB got got his feet underneath them, but they're going to be susceptible this week going up against Notre Dame. Yeah. You want to try pronouncing his name because it's, uh, <laughs> you, you, Oogie Alalele. Oogie Lele, I think yes. it is. But, uh, no, they, they did pretty well. It's, it's interesting when you talk about the AP poll, really what we're seeing, we all talked about, and I never really thought about how this was going to play out until now we're in the throes of it. We talked about how it's an all, you know, conference only uh, slate for most teams, except for maybe one out of conference game. But if you really think about how this normally plays out, most people pad their stats with three, sometimes even four easy wins early in the season and then they may end up taking their losses at the end, but it doesn't look nearly as bad. But now you look around, and because it's conference play, you have a bunch of 0-2 teams with no padded stats. That team would probably in other years be 4-2, and and it wouldn't look as bad, even mm-hmm. though it's probably the same results in, in conference. You're referring to Penn State. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of people. I'm referring to Iowa. I'm referring to Minnesota. Yeah. I'm referring yeah. to Penn State, Nebraska, all of those teams, so... Yeah. And on that note, Michigan has no business being ranked. I know they beat Minnesota and beat them pretty good, but then you turn around and look at this weekend, Minnesota gets beat by Rucker or beat by Maryland on by one point because they missed an extra point, but whatever. They shouldn't even have been in the game against Maryland. Minnesota should be better than that. And the team that lost to Rutgers beat Michigan. Yes. <laughs> so in Michigan State. So why is Michigan ranked at one and one? They do that. not deserve it at all. So in our rankings, uh, just in the, co- the computer rankings, we're 16th in the FPI. That's the highest one. 18th in Sagarin, 20th in the SP Plus, and 29th in FEI. That comes out to an average about of just about 21, 20.75. And so a top 25 team, according to the computers, uh, the humans don't think we're that good yet, but I think it's in large part to the two road losses, you know, just like you were talking about. We take two losses on the road to conference teams, and there's a lot of teams like us that are sitting at three and two or four and two or five and two, and the voters have to pick and choose, and whoever got a good win most recently gets in. That's right. It's it's a complete crapshoot right now and, and where people are stacking uh, teams up and you know, I know I don't want not to jump forward, but the Liberty game and the line on that game when they're a top 25 program and the <laughs> right. spread right now is very indicative of what we're seeing across the country in terms of AP voters don't know what the heck to do. It's just like throw stuff right. up in the air. Yeah, they're ranked number 25, but we're two touchdown favorites. Go, mm-hmm. go figure that out. Anyway, let's get to the player update in terms of the injuries the guys scratched for covid reasons or whatever there was no waller again this week no belmar and no nadir thompson waller we know is dealing with injury i think belmar is dealing with a concussion Mm -hmm. and then diablo taylor strong and murray started in the back so that was the same starting four as last week so at least that's nice to see we do want to get waller back but it's nice to have some consistency barno and reed started at defensive end and pollard and kendrick started at defensive tackle because Hewitt missed the first half and Fu essentially did say that Waller was going to be back this week against Liberty which would be nice because their quarterback is uh, kind of a baller and we're going to need some extra hands in the in the back end if, if you ask me 
I thought he said he was going to be back for this past weekend too. <laughs> right. Well, if, I thought not, we have heard that before. So yeah, I'm not imagining that, right? I'm pretty no, sure he did. <laughs> so um, he's probably but, a little frustrated. You know how Fu gets when when some guys are getting nicked up over and over again. You can tell the kind of like the frustration in his voice. Like I really do think he expects Waller to be back this yeah. week, mm-hmm. and will kind of urge him to be so. Yes. Yes, I think so. Louisville was also missing a key linebacker in Monty Montgomery and a bunch of their defensive linemen. That's what we learned right before the kick. They still had Goldwire, who was their mm-hmm. best defensive lineman, uh, but they're missing a bunch. Their depth was completely decimated by the COVID. I'm actually surprised we were able to play due to the limits they have on the linemen. Yep. But we did play, and early on, it was definitely a benefit to have those guys out of the lineup for Louisville. Yeah, and it was obvious. <laughs> I I wonder if we scheme the game to go that way and we'll talk about how much we rush the ball versus pass the ball or if they got word of that many people being out and we kind of just pivoted on the fly. I I would love to, you know, be a fly on the wall and know whether that was the case or whether it was a last minute decision to, to go with that. Well, let's get in the game recap before we break it down. Justice Reed got a sack on the first play. We benefited from a penalty, and after our Louisville punt, we had excellent field position. We went right down the field with the help of some huge holes. Touchdown on the run by Hooker. Couple drives later, after a Devin Taylor interception, Hooker hit Turner for a big gain down the middle, scored on another Hooker run, 14 zip. On Louisville's next drive, they had a third and fourth and short. Tisdale flew into the backfield on consecutive plays and stuffed the cards. Turnover on downs. Tisdale in those two plays was just like a missile. Yeah, pretty much the whole day he played really, really well. And he had come off a couple games where he wasn't as sharp as, as we know he can be. And he came out and was really, really on point. We went 68 yards in six plays and scored once again on Hooker Run on our next drive. This time it was a dive into the end zone for Hennon Hooker, 21 to nothing. Louisville finally got on the board. Scoring on the pass to Ford, the tight end. And with the clock winding down in the half, the D was playing well. And then they had just this little run up the middle for Louisville. And it turned into a 90-yard TD run with zeros on the clock to end the half. The speed by Hawkins on that play. It was a devastating play, but I came away impressed by his speed. Yeah. And I think afterwards, most of the players said, and I think Fuente said, the gap fit was just wrong and it ended up being very, very costly in that particular instance. And I think there were, there was more than just one issue on that play, but Hawkins is fast. I mean, once he (laughs) saw the light of day, that guy was, was gone and he's extremely talented, but it, that was a huge kick in the nuts. Yeah. So it was 21 to 14. But on the third quarter, it started. We went right down the field again. Started the second half, seven plays, 63 yards, scoring on the touchdown on the jet sweep by Trey Turner. We scored a lot of touchdowns on jet sweeps this year. Yes. We followed that up with an interception, essentially at the goal line by Chamari Connor. That was a really big play after a long drive by Louisville. And so at the end of the third, we're in the red zone. We're up by two touchdowns, and it felt like it was pretty much over. We kicked a field goal on that drive, drained about seven minutes off the clock, and made it 31-14. to Louisville responded, though. They hit the bomb to Des Fitzpatrick on 3rd and 10, 82-yard TD to make it 31-21. We answered with another field goal. Louisville put up a TD on the run by Berkeley, then tried an onside kick. Mitchell grabbed it. 
And with the help of a penalty, we scored our final TD, this time on the run by Herbert. Two-point conversion was good to trade Turner, 42-28. But Cunningham wasn't done. One more score for them on a fourth down. TD pass to Hawkins. A third onside kick for good measure. No dice. Robinson snags it. And the Hokies win 42-35. to There was a lot going on in that game. Yep. <laughs> uh, but I'd like to say the story of the game was the big lead, the consistent offense for us throughout, and holding on for dear life at the end. Yeah. Three onside kicks are, is not fun. That had me no. extremely nervous. And testament to the hands team, they came up with the ball on each one of those because... Yeah, cheers to James Shabest, man. That was... <laughs> they, yeah. they had them drawn up. They knew exactly what they were doing on each one. Well done. Absolutely. I, I think that's a, a big story of the game. Obviously, I would not say we... We gave away a pretty good lead uh, on really just some crazy stuff. Obviously, there was the 90-yard run. That Des Fitzpatrick, the 82-yarder, was was pretty brutal. But they did what they needed to. They won the game. They came out. They After the first half, you could have been pretty demoralized after that, that uh, run by Hawkins. But they weren't. They came out. Trey Turner... You know, got that touchdown, and I think that was pretty critical. Brian Johnson made all of his kicks, and we went for two again. <laughs> what is going this season? We're going to have more two point <laughs> attempt conversions, and then maybe not making as many, but it seems like the score just keeps happening this way where we're put in a position that we end up going for two more often than I can ever remember. Yeah, yeah. And Trey, like, I guess you don't really get a catch for the two point conversion on the stat sheet nope. or, or, or doesn't, and it doesn't count as like a touchdown or whatever. The only reason I know that is because I had to learn it when I'm doing all of these stats for all the past stats. And I always check all the numbers against the box score after I'm done with everything. So I had to quickly, the other one that'll mess you up sometimes is knowing when the penalty gets called back because I'm watching the game so quickly trying to get through all of my stats that if I miss the no play on it, then all of a sudden I have an extra pass and I'm going back through all the, all the stats trying to figure out what happened. But yes, you are, you are correct. So this game was very, very similar to the Miami game last year in, in multiple ways. It was a 42-35, same exact score, first of all. Uh, the guys responding well in practice, coming off a loss. We heard that last year after the Duke game. They go on the road to face a talented opponent, same as this year. Get out to a big lead thanks to turnovers. Give up a touchdown right before the half. Like it's, yeah. it, it is a mirror image. And then there's a furious comeback by the opponent in the second half. But Tech answered again and again. Hooker answered again and again. And even with the onside kick and everything, like, did you ever feel like we were going to lose? The onside kicks got me a little bit nervous. I'll be honest that that's where that. And when I look back at the three turnovers, both of all those interceptions, this is a very different game. If that does not happen, that was turnover margin. Yeah, that one that Connor got, uh, I thought for sure they were going to score on that drive. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that was, that was big. So I, I was never, that concern, but and the, the the defense in the second half did not play as well. I will say Hooker was 
uh, I was looking at his passes in, in this game, and it started a little slow, a five, a seven-yard pass. Then it goes 17, minus two, 32, 34, 24, 13, 11, 42 yards for all of his last eight passes. Yeah, so because you said he was 0 of 7 on passes over 20 yards. Mm-hmm. So what, he was 3 of 3 this week? Yes. Okay. Yeah, 3 of 3. All right. <laughs> Let's let's get on the right track there, Hendon. I like it. He came. I mean, considering what he did last week, he was fantastic. And like I said, ten out of ten. It was the fewest passes for a VT quarterback since two thousand nine, when we played Miami in that monsoon. Yeah. But he went for one hundred and eighty three yards in the air, sixty eight on the ground, nineteen attempts. Again, almost twenty attempts for Hendon Hooker. Um, but he looks good. Three rushing touchdowns, an 80 QBR, nice jump from the 50 last week, and a 253 passer rating, highest of his career. Uh, that is that is very high. Yeah, and it, it wasn't one of those, because the passes, there were so few of them, it wasn't one of those box scores that are really jump off the page for somebody that everybody's going to be looking at saying, oh man, passed for 350 yards or whatever the case may be, but just extremely efficient with what he did with the ball in this game it was it was impressive especially coming off of a a really tough game before that and he had some really nice throws that one to robinson down the middle where robinson kind of had to outstretch that was a perfect pass yeah like an absolutely perfect pass and it might have been his longest or second longest of the day yeah i think it was it was a 42 yard uh pass on that and yeah. he threw he threw it almost 40 yards in the air on that pass because it was right down towards the um the end zone i also noticed he didn't throw a pass other than the two-point conversion for the last 10 minutes of the game <laughs> we just kept it on the ground we were trying to grind clock and that strategy worked pretty well there were times uh when we could have run more clock Yes. And I felt like we weren't snapping the ball uh, like with five seconds or less on the play clock, and I didn't really understand that. Um, but whatever. We we did what we had to do to win the game. The offensive line also had a nice bounce back, paving the way 283 yards rushing, a 5.5-yard per carry average. And even though Louisville was missing some defensive linemen, that was that's a really nice yardage total, man. That on the road to go out and put up almost 300 yards rushing, that was nice. Yeah, and it wasn't even all just Herbert this time, even though he did extremely well. 21 carries, 147 yards, and a, a TD once again, putting up really good yards. Five TDs on all on the ground. We're again, I said it when I kicked things off, we're a little bit of a one-trick pony right now, but the pass game did start to come around. And then we saw Trey Turner get more involved in this game. So we started at a little bit of, of variety at the right times. You can't argue with 10 of 10. <laughs> you, yes. you just, you can't do it. That I, I don't care. Like we were rushing the ball, so keep doing it. But when we passed it, we were perfect. Yep. So... Um, you have to be pleased putting up 42 points. Tavion had a nice day, 81 yards on three touches for him. Trey four for 71 and the touchdown on the rush. Uh, Mitchell three for 46. Mitchell is such a key part of this offense. And even Gallo, he had our only third down conversion of the day. Yeah. We went one of seven on third down. That could be better. Yeah, that, that definitely could, could improve for us, but that was a, that was a nice catch in the, in the third, but it was, it's funny, there's 
five passes in the first quarter, one in the second, the entire second quarter. There were three in the third quarter and one in the fourth. That's, <laughs> that's, that's how the passing worked out in this game. It was, it was hilarious because I was doing my stats. I had to keep scrolling through the game to get to the next time to watch the play to see and write down all the stuff that I do. It, it was taking forever. 466 total yards of offense, 7.6 yards per play. After we go through the defense, we'll give you where we stand on the season. But a nice performance by the O. Let's flip over to the D before we move on to our beer break. This got away from us at the end. Yep. Um, 548 yards allowed. That is pretty bad, but not as bad in my head as the 8.43 yards per play. Like, like that is the sixth worst performance of the last 12 years. And and so, okay, it's not the second worst or third worst. There's 150 games. If yeah. you're sixth worst, that's a really, really bad performance. And people are trying to explain it away. It's, oh, it was the one long play before halftime and the 82-yard the bomb. Yeah, those plays were damaging. But if you take away those two plays, we still gave up six yards per play. Yeah. I mean, Hawkins was... Yeah, he had 129 yards, he had 90 of those on one play, another 42 yards uh, catching the ball. Cunningham was actually relatively efficient with 350 yards. He was 23 for 35, but he had the three interceptions to go along with his three passing touchdowns. They're an explosive offense. There's no doubt about that, but the defense definitely... The wheels came off a little bit in the second half, and that's yeah. really where a lot of the damage uh, came in. Des Fitzpatrick really played better than Tutu Atwell, which was really surprising to me. Atwell, I think, is a phenomenal player. He had 158 yards on five catches. Um, so it was tough, but you know, Chamari Connor had nine tackles, eight solo. He ended up getting uh, ACC Player of the Week uh, recognition. He also had the interception. Tisdale had two and a half tackles for a loss. Diablo was was good, and then he had the he had the pick, and Taylor had the pick as well. So it, it was some definite bright spots in this defense, and some definite concerns, especially when we look at teams coming up like Miami and Clemson. Yeah, it's a little confounding because you could look at it two different ways. One, as French put it. It's the best our front four has looked basically this entire year. Justice Reed comes out, gets two sacks early in the game. He had another hurry. Um, he now leads the team in sacks at four and a half. And Fuga had that tackle for loss. He was all jacked up after that one. I mean, the, the D line was starting to look pretty good. But like I said, e- even if you take out long plays, they struggled in that second half. And I wonder if that's a symptom of depth or getting tired or just that Louisville made the right adjustments. It is a good offense with great playmakers. You're only going to hold them down for so long. And if you look at our first six drives on defense, we only gave up 127 yards on the last five. We gave up 391 yards. (laughs) That is, that is a massive failure in the second half. I mean, they went for 70 yards every drive Mm. on their last five drives, at least. So it uh, it was bad, but there were parts of it that were showed improvement and showed like what this defense can do. And if they fill that gap on the ninety yard run, how much better 
does the overall performance look? Does it change the momentum for Louisville in the second half? They're, you know, so I, I get it. Like the defense is showing slight improvements. And if you remember, I think it was last year where this was happening, where mm-hmm. we, and even against Miami, it was like, oh, the defense is getting better, but they gave up a lot of yards per play, but we saw some good stuff here. And it took a while, but slowly and, but surely it came together. And I'm hoping that's what happens this year because UNC and Louisville have really good offenses. We won't see a pair of wide receivers like this, hopefully for the rest of the year, even when we play Clemson in Miami. Like we're not going to see a Fitzpatrick and Atwell on the same team and these tight ends that Louisville has and Hawkins. Yeah. So it, I think it can only get better from what we have to face, but this was not a good performance. No, that's fair. I, the fact is, is that if you look through – all the scoring drives, whether it's field goal or touchdowns in this game, it's indicative of what Virginia Tech is right now. Our drives were 53 yards, 33 yards, 68 yards, 63 yards, 84 yards, 46 and 48. That's not, there was not really too many short fields to work with. And theirs were 62, 85, 82, 75 and 76. So we got ourselves in a shootout which I think is probably not going to be the last time we see that this season. And I think that is, we're starting to see what this team is and that they're going to have to, they're going to have to score 35 plus to win games this season against the tougher, tougher, good offense opponents that they go up against. Yeah. And that's, that's a tall order because like you said, we do have our struggles in the past game. We, we are not, isolated to the run game but if, if if people shut it down it could be a long day on offense and so jham and the defense and i know and like listen i know we've had the COVID issues and i knew like we didn't have our full deck against unc blah 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 it's not good enough anyone that watches this team knows it's not good enough hopefully the little improvements will all come together and for the last five six games we can turn it on because we have three ranked opponents coming up yeah. over the next five games. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see, but we, we knew it was going to be a challenge with Jay ham coming in the change in scheme. COVID didn't help anything, but there were some bright spots in this, in this game and uh, on, were, the, on the defense, on the defensive side that it's going to take time to, to develop. And, and it's not just a this year thing. It's a this year, next year, recruiting, changing who the types of players we're going after. I mean, we have a slog ahead of us with regard yeah. Why to... Why does it always have to be so many years? <laughs> <laughs> because we if don't we're re- on year five of Fuente, why does it have to take another three years to get the defense in order? Because we don't recruit like Georgia does? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> There's your answer. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, but miscellaneous stuff. I thought the refs were pretty flag-happy in this one, especially yeah. holding... They threw that flag, which benefited us when when Brock Hoffman went flailing. Um, they were just throwing way too many flags, if you ask me. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I felt like a lot of those were to our benefit, quite honestly. There were some ones where I was kind of, uh, you know, we always have the orange and maroon glasses on, but I was like kind of given the, the side eye on a few of those that ended up paying off to our benefit. But way, way too many flags. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, let's take a minute to talk about our sponsor, Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. 
Downtown Crown is located in Gaithersburg, Maryland. It's a beautiful setup right in the Downtown Crown Shopping Center. It's got an indoor bar. It's got outdoor seating. You can bring food in. Their tap list is unbelievable. And if you're there, you'll probably see our friend Raj Tafakur. He does a great job at keeping that place updated with the best beers. And honestly, man, if you're not following them on Instagram by now and you're listening to us every week, I don't know what you're doing. You have to follow them on Instagram because they always put out what they get in. And the same thing goes for Dominion. And they kind of have a different style with their social media presence, but you're always going to know when the good stuff gets there. And Dominion also, fantastic outdoor setup, great indoor bar. And, you know, no one's working at full capacity right now, but you can still go in there. They have an amazing selection. Wear your mask. But if you don't want to do that, they've got curbside pickup at both locations. I know Robbie loves, he's been to Dominion a bunch. And and he's been to Downtown Crown when we did our live podcast from there. My wife and I were just talking our anniversaries coming up, eight years on uh, this upcoming weekend. So we we are on Sunday, we're going to, you know, we're staying local and just going to a hotel and, you know, going to grab a quick dinner and do all the things that are safe and about all you can do these, these days with celebrating a little bit. But then on Sunday, I think we're going to swing by uh, downtown and pick up a bunch of you know beers and 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 wine and those sorts of things and probably grab some some lunch on the way back after after our anniversary night so uh, i'll be there this uh this sunday so and i'm excited nice. nice yeah so again make sure to follow them on instagram go to their website that's where you can find out all the information regarding putting in your orders uh, just google downtown crown wine and beer and dominion wine and beer there come right up dominions and falls church down on ground like i said is where 370 and 270 meet right in the heart of Gaithersburg. Let's take a quick beer break. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I am drinking Green Machine IPA, not to be confused with the Green Machine uh, naked uh, smoothies that you can get. This is this is actually an alcoholic beer. It's an IPA. It's 6.2%. It comes in this kind of unique can design. It's very simple, I guess I would put it, but the colors are actually kind of cool the green that they use it's from diamondback brewing company who i i don't know from a, a hole in the wall i just was going in picking up some beers tried to find something from a brewery that we haven't had before i don't think we've had this brewery uh on the podcast before it is so. in baltimore i believe yeah baltimore maryland it's they're cherished kind of house IPAs, what they, they call it. American barley, touch of wheat, hopped with a favorite American and Australian varieties, and fermented with an ale yeast. Notes of citrus and grapefruit. It's good. It is a nice, solid IPA, kind of right down the middle. Exactly what I would expect for somebody's house IPA, not anything that's a double or special it's a good solid beer, so I like it. I am drinking the Autumn Winds Hazy IPA by New Trail Brewing Company. New Trail is out of Williamsport, PA. Do you know what Williamsport is famous for, Robbie? Williamsport is uh no, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not that's sure. the Little League World Series. Oh, I that's right. Is, is, oh, I've, is I, I've actually been there. <laughs> I, I just, You've gone to a game? Yeah, my so. I'll quick aside, my um, best friend growing up, uh, Andy, 
his dad at least operated Leesburg airport where they sell like King airs and that kind of stuff. So we took a King air. He flew us up to uh, Williamsport when I was real young. So we were probably only nine years old, but we, we did the uh, private jet service right up into uh, Williamsport and then watched uh, the U S get smacked by, what was it? One of those years, it was like Taiwan or somebody just beat the ever loving hit like 45 home runs against uh, the U S uh, team. I can't remember what state it was, but yeah, this new trail IPA, uh, it's okay. Autumn winds got the perfect name, perfect can for the time of year. It's a beautiful can, but the beer is just, it's just okay. It's a little bit bitter. There's nothing notable about it. I'm not getting a flavor of any kind. I'm not getting like, Ooh, that's kind of got like a citrusy blah blah nothing. It's just kind of a a normal IPA. Uh I wouldn't even necessarily say like it is hazy. There's no doubt about that. But like just tasting it, I wouldn't be like, oh, that's a hazy. Like I can tell by the texture. It's fine. But Williamsport PA, PA is an important state tonight. It is election night. It is. <laughs> and so we'll see how uh see how it shakes out. Um I saw a tweet today, it was like you really shouldn't leave the presidential election up to Pennsylvania. This is the same state that argues over the best gas station hoagies. <laughs> <laughs> that is and so it's true. true. If you're a Wawa or Sheets person, you know, <laughs> it can get testy. <laughs> I just got a, we just got a Wawa down the street. It's walking distance from us. It just opened. And I always like to make people really angry by saying Wawa, their, what is it, their, uh, iced tea that everybody loves or whatever their sweet tea i always tell people it's trash it's not that good and you want to get somebody yelling at you about like hoagies from wawa make fun of the sweet tea and people will lose their minds yeah that stuff is very very sugary and i know because i worked at wawa in high school and i've eaten every single kind of Wawa food there ever has been. <laughs> and uh, I've got a soft spot for Wawa. I'll always choose it over Sheets, but I love Sheets too. I don't discriminate. MTO, I'm all about it. On the way to Blacksburg, hit it many, many times. That's right. So before we get to Liberty, I just wanted to go over where we're standing in the world of college football. We're third in average yards per rush, and that is the highest pretty much any statistical category we're in. One, two, and fourth place in yards per rush have all only played two games. I think it's San Diego State, Michigan, and Maryland or something like that. But we're, we could very well be number one in yards per rush when this year is over, once every other team has played a bunch of games. And that, that would be amazing. It would be pretty, pretty incredible. And we've said it before, and I'll say it again. That's kind of what we've been asking for for a while, is getting back to <laughs> grassroots Virginia Tech football at least as I remember it. Uh, I never thought, though, that we'd be a top five team in average yards per rush again. No, <laughs> I, I never I never did. But this offensive line, and I know we talked about, I do think it's nice that I think the jet sweeps were now using that really complement the and stretch the, uh, the defense out. So they're not kind of the jokey ones that we used to deploy. I think they're used very complementary to what we're doing. And Turner's done a great job with those in a, in a lot of instances. So it's it's fun. And we're fourth in rush yards per game. So even against the option teams who are running a lot more carries than we are, we're still top five in total rush yards per game, which is impressive. We're 10th in yards per play overall. That's 7.0. That's the best in school history if the season were to end today. 
Uh, we are 16th in total offense at 472 yards a game. I guess it's 473 if you round up. That's also the best in school history if the season were to end today. So this is some pretty historic numbers, and I know the college football landscape has changed, but still, when you're talking best in school history, it's it's pretty amazing, and hopefully we can keep up the offensive numbers. We We do have some tough defenses coming up, so we'll see. On the bad side, 86th out of 103 teams in yards per play defense. That is not going to get it done. No, that and that's going to get – I guess we we just saw that a little bit with Louisville. I, we're going to see it again with Miami and see it again with Clemson. And we'll talk about Liberty. Liberty, their offense <clears throat> is not world-beating, but it's pretty good. So we got a lot of tough opponents coming up here that are yeah. going to test and stress that that defense. So, yeah, let's get to Liberty. 11-7 at noon on ACC Network. Last year, they went 8-5. and five. They also lost to Rutgers and Syracuse. So you have to take that 8-5 and five with a grain of salt. They're coached by Hugh Freeze, and he has made them into a decent program. He had Ole Miss going for a minute back, you know, a few years ago. They were known for their good offense, known for their sketchy recruiting, <laughs> to yes, say the least. To say the very least. Um, and this year, they're 6-0. and And we said they're ranked number 25. However, the combined record of the FBS teams they've faced is 4-26. and Their best win, according to the SP+, is is Western Kentucky, who sits at 79th in uh, the SP+. Plus. That's out of 127 teams, but still, the best win is the 80th-ranked team, essentially. So this record, this schedule leaves a lot to be desired. They did beat Syracuse, and I think that kind of, oh, okay, they beat a Power 5 team. Syracuse sucks. Yep. <laughs> they dominated Syracuse, but Syracuse is really awful. Yeah, no, that that's fair. They're, they're about to really demonstrate whether they're for real or not. They have in their next five games, they have us, then they play at NC state and then they play at coastal Carolina and coastal Carolina is ranked number 15 in the nation right now. That that team is really good. They are every time I think they're going to stumble, they just kick the crap out of somebody. Like I picked Georgia state to cover this past weekend against them. So did the bear, I believe. Mm-hmm. No, they won like 40 to nothing or something. Georgia State was who I bet on, I think, early in the season and bet way too much money on them and ended up losing that. So that, that was painful. But yeah, this this Liberty team, we're not sure exactly how good they are. There's When you're undefeated, you're undefeated. You never lost. So you don't know, oh, well, who, who have they lost to? They haven't lost to anybody. They could beat anybody. However, when you break into the stats... They're 48th in the SP+, 85th in FPI, 76th in Sagarin, 78th in FEI. I averaged ours to around 21 earlier in the podcast. That averages out to about 71. So we are 50 spots better than them in college football. This should be a win for Virginia Tech, should. But they're going to pose a problem, particularly to the defense we just said is having a hard time this year. Their quarterback scares the crap out of me. Yeah, and you think Hugh Freeze doesn't want to take this opportunity to punch Virginia Tech in the mouth? Absolutely. This is—they have a couple other big games that are coming up, but 
this is their Super Bowl game in comparison. Probably this, NC State, and we'll see what happens with them against Coastal Carolina at the end. But I'm not... We've had been through too much in the past to sleepwalk our way <laughs> through a game like this, including Liberty in the past that has, uh, you know, run up a, a few points on us. So I'm... I'm still have a healthy amount of uh, nervousness going into this. We would never lose to an in-state team that's just right up the road from us, Robbie. It would never happen. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> JMU, ODU. I mean, it. yes, we have been scarred. Yes. And I think that the top 25 ranking and the fact that we know anything can happen in college football, We especially when you're playing an in-state team, uh, yeah, they're going to be ready. I think that Fuente will have these guys focused because you look at Malik Willis, their quarterback. He's 28th nationally in QBR, 17th nationally in passer rating. And he was once a Virginia Tech commit, which yep. I had kind of forgotten about. He went to Auburn, transferred to Liberty. Really talented guy, though. And he's doing it in the air and on the ground. Yeah, 67% completion percentage, 9 TDs. He has taken 11 sacks, which I think is going to be Interesting to see what happens with that team this upcoming weekend. Uh, he's also the team's leading rusher, 71 carries for 495 yards and six more TDs on the ground. So that's 15 TDs responsible for that this guy has. And there is the history with Virginia Tech. And I remember distinctly when he went to Auburn and him transferring around. So he has something to prove as well in this game that... You know, nobody, I don't think people purposely hold a grudge, but sometimes you kind of want to get back at some of the teams that you have familiarity with uh, from the past. I wonder if this means if Demetrius Davis will end up at Liberty one day. <laughs> anyway, yes, <laughs> he, he has, uh, but Willis has been good. Sacked 11 times. You mentioned four of those sacks came just last game in the Southern Miss game. Yep. But in that same Southern Miss game, <laughs> He had seven total touchdowns. He had 345 yards in the air, 442 total yards. So in a game where he gets sacked four times, he manages to gain 442 yards and have seven TDs. This kid is very dangerous. I know Southern Miss stinks. They've had, what, three coaches now? Yeah. But if we put up, if our quarterback put up 442 total yards against Little Sisters of the Poor, we would be pumped about it. Seven touchdowns, give me a break. That's um, that's incredible. Yeah, that's impressive. They got three running backs. They use them all a lot, and I think they're all still active. I didn't see anybody that's injured. Mack has 68 carries for 376 yards. Lewis has 45 for 374, and Pickett has 62 for 308 yards. So they have a few guys and some depth there that – can be a little bit dangerous to to complement what Willis can do on the ground as well. They're running the ball very well. Sixth in rush yards per game. 255 rush yards per game. Uh, I'd said we were fourth. Well, they're only two spots behind us. Uh, 5.7 average for them. And, it, yeah, Willis is the leader. The funny thing about Mac, Lewis, and Pickett, none of those guys are particularly large. They're all under six feet. Two of them are five foot eight. And uh, I guess it's Lewis is more of the scat back, but they do have options. I mean, if one of those guys were to get hurt or go down, they can spell them. Uh, They're good in the running back position. It's just that, uh, and you'll see this in the wide receivers too, 
a lot of the guys are undersized. And this is what happens when you get to uh, a G5, or in this case, an independent team. You go to their wide receivers, they do have one stud in DJ Stubbs, 5'9", 185. So again, he's a smaller guy, but 27 receptions, 375 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Kevin Shaw, he's 5'11", he's, he's their senior wide receiver. Then they got a freshman, 5'8", Demario Douglas, 165, 17 receptions. Like, they have options, but like I said, we will have the athleticism and the size advantage on all of these guys. Yeah. It's interesting. You get you have to get all the way down to their tight end, Johnny Huntley, and he's number 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, number 11 in total receptions to see somebody that has less than an average of 10 yards per reception. So, and he's at 9.6, so he's not far off of it. So, so you're saying they get down the field when they catch the ball? Just a little bit. I think that's uh, a, a key takeaway. But you're right. When you get down to these levels, they're going to use a lot of bodies. They have to because they have to keep their guys fresh, especially going up against talent like Virginia Tech. They can't outsize them. They can't be more athletic necessarily. So they use a lot of people to keep everybody relatively fresh and that's that's the way that they go about it it's the same reason you know the triple options used at schools that can't recruit high-end talent because it it works it mitigates that disadvantage you have on the other side of the ball their offensive line it's not great they're 51st in sacks allowed however they do throw a lot so when you throw that much being in the middle of the pack and sacks isn't terrible the best defense this offense has gone up against was Western Kentucky, and they come in in the S&P just two spots away from us. We are 39th in the SP plus defense. Western Kentucky was 41. So they held them to 30 points. We need to hold them to 30 points or less. I think that is is where I'm thinking. And listen, I know you're going to say, Liberty, they shouldn't score 30 points on us. I don't think they should either, but I think they might. Right. Right. <laughs> You can, you can wish it away if you want to, but <laughs> the likelihood of what we've seen so far this season, and maybe the guys turn it on and they settle in each game. They uh, they obviously are getting better and better, or at least meshing together better, especially with all the COVID stuff. But I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them put up 30 points. So then we'll have to take a look at their defense to make us feel a little bit better. They're 64th in the SP plus defense. 23rd in yards per play and 29th in points per drive again take into account the schedule and that's what sp plus does and that 64 is definitely closer to correct uh 19th in opposer passer rating and 48th in yards per rush so they're definitely better against the pass i I think i am i'm safe in assuming that and at four yards per carry against the offenses that they faced which are literally putrid on average they have faced terrible offenses all year long and they're giving up four yards to carry we should be able to run 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 on this team yeah and it's difficult because you have to adjust for the opponent but the the interesting from a stats perspective the only people that can really pick out are really on the defensive line that actually have put up relatively decent numbers you have johnson that has six sacks clark has three and a half their linebacker has a couple interceptions, um, Butler, two interceptions and a sack. But th- those are against really bad offenses, as you said. So 
I don't know what to make of those numbers, and none of those offenses hold a candle to what we've been able to do and have shown an ability to do on the ground. So I, I feel good about it. I do think they'll get a little bit of pressure here and there, but the offense, I think, offensive line for us should be able to to take care of that. They do have a couple of good things going for them on this side of the ball. One, lots of juniors and seniors on defense. And two, on the defensive line, they do have decent size and are putting up some numbers, but their one defensive tackle, he's six foot six, three twenty-five. That's Ralph Rosens. He only has one sack, but he has made twenty-one tackles and he's huge. So that a big nose tackle like that, that can be a problem for your run offense, especially if you're trying to go up the gut. So that's something to think about. We don't often go up the middle, and we've kind of been avoiding it at times this season. I think we may avoid it again here. Um, well, when we do do it, it, when we do it, it's usually with Hooker. That's generally yeah. been been the scheme is is using Hooker, um, you know, up the middle on that read option. Whereas Herbert's been doing more on the outside, and because he's amazing at it, he can read. He slows down. He changes direction. He's patient, so it, it works very well. So we'll we'll see how it plays out in this game because their linebackers don't really scare me all that much. So I feel like no. there's a lot of opportunity there. There's a lot of opportunity, uh, even though they're 19th in passer rating on defense. I, I think they're going to be able to be exposed a little bit by Hooker and. I hope Trey is healthy because that has really been like obviously a hindrance to our offense. Is Trey is he's kind of he's looks good, then he gets hurt, and even in the last game he had to go out. Um, but when he is playing well, we saw it against Louisville. Like he is so valuable to this team. And if him, Tavion, and Mitchell are playing at their highest level, we're gonna cause major problems for this secondary. And I guess let, let's get get to our keys to the game and our, our final overall thoughts on the matchup. And I think them being ranked is huge. I said it in the beginning, but I think from a motivation standpoint, it's huge for us. We It gives us very little chance of sleepwalking through a noon game, which when you're playing a team that's not in your conference that you quote unquote should be, that's always a worry. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's It's good motivation for the team. It keeps them focused. The players, I believe, uh, today, I think, was the presser. Some of them mentioned them being ranked and how that gives them really good focus on this being an important game. The fact that it's in-state, I think, is also really helpful. I think the point that you made just previously in looking at this offense and the pass game in particular is the the ability to get Turner healthy really does change the whole dynamic of this offense. It shouldn't be that dramatic, but it really is. It That third threat in both the, the jet sweep and in the pass down fields and how talented he is adds that r- really dynamic to take the pass game to, to the next level. So for me, that's a, a key, and I hope he's healthy and feeling well because it's important. Yeah, I I think that we're going to run the ball and we're going to be able to run the ball. 40 points should be the minimum. If you just look at the statistical makeup of this team and what we're doing on offense, we are the 13th ranked SP plus offense. And we we were up about that high a couple weeks ago and then dropped off. But this is a very good offense going up 
against a defense that shouldn't be able to hang with us. 40 points should be the minimum. We should have a goal of 50 because I do think that they're going to put up 25, 30 points. I really do. If you can contain Willis, their quarterback, I think everything's going to fall into place. It, you pressure him, you spy him, you do whatever you have to do, but it's it's all about the quarterback. The rest of their skill talent, it's fine. He is the power five talent on the team, and he's at the most important position. I think some of the players came out today, and I didn't get as much time to kind of go through all of the snippets from the players, but I think one of them was talking about we're we're a gap defense. We have to get to the right gaps, and in order to and when we do, we can really be good at shutting people down. And we've seen it when it works really, really well. And we've also seen what happens when there's breakdowns or two people hit the same hole and they shouldn't be, or somebody picks the wrong gap. So if we can do that and be really efficient in gap fitting in this game, I think that will help to maintain Willis and and address that point that you just made about being able to hold him back from from being a thorn in our side. I think it'll come together for the defense a little bit in this one, um, but I still think that Liberty's going to throw up their points. We're 14.5-point favorites currently. I think the team will be focused, and when we play focused— I don't think they'll have the athletes or the talent to keep up with us. Yeah, I would hope not. Big spreads make me worried this year in particular. You look at Michigan, what just happened there, a lot Minnesota, what happened there. There's just a lot of weird stuff that is happening this year, which is not surprising given the off season, no off season really that we have had, but it makes me certainly makes me nervous. I almost wish we were, like a seven and a half point favorite and our players were going in saying this is the number 25 team in the nation and nobody's paying us our, our respect. And then they're going to go out and, and beat the heck out of people. So the big spread makes me a little bit worried. Well, the nice thing in the COVID season that we've seen is to be at home and we are at home. And that's the difference between the last two weeks is we were going on the road as favorites. And that's kind of a dicey proposition this year. Being a home double-digit favorite, I feel okay about beating Liberty, and I, I think we'll, I think we want to do everything in our power to put them in their place. I think Fuente wants to. I think the players want to. No one likes Liberty. Okay, Liberty sucks. <laughs> Freeze is a piece of shit. Falwell Jr. is a piece of shit, <laughs> and that that whole thing. If you followed any of that, it's a crazy story. Yep. They're where they stand on issues is questionable at best as a university. So. Let's go out there and kick their ass and cover this spread. Let's do it. All right, let's take a quick beer break before we do our picks. What are you drinking over there, Pete? I am having the Yards Brewing Filthy. That's filthy with a PH. Yards is from Philadelphia. This is an unfiltered hazy IPA, 6.5% alcohol. I've had this before, and I partially pulled it out of the fridge tonight because I knew it was good, and I wasn't so pleased with the last one, so I wanted to make sure I really enjoyed my second beer, and i kind of been waiting to have this one on the podcast. It's really good. It's kind of got an understated sweetness to it as as a hazy. A lot of hazies do have a little bit more of a sweet aftertaste than some of the non-hazy IPAs, and this one, it's it's subtle, but it's there, and it just... 
it's a very good warm weather beer, but even in the colder months, this is a, it's really tasty. And the unfiltered aspect, it's not like it's full of pulp or sediment. It's, it's really not much. I just think that they don't want to make any bones about the fact that it's filtered or unfiltered. Like there is stuff floating in it, but you can't, you can't tell. What are you having? So I'm having the Anastasia Russian Imperial Stout from Commonwealth. I know I have a lot of Commonwealth on here and probably too much, but it's Virginia Beach. It's local. They put out a ton of new beers all the time, which is actually quite impressive for how often they roll out new beers on a regular basis. And it's delicious. It's you know twelve percent, so it is a heavy lift to to say the <laughs> least. Um, That's pretty high, man. That's like a wine. Yeah, I well, I was rushing again, and I know I used that excuse too much, so I just kind of grabbed two beers that I thought, and I wanted to get a darker stout beer. But Russian Imperials, man, they are so sweet because they have to hide how much alcohol is in there with like, the sweetness. Um, they're so delicious, but if anybody can have more than one of these, my hat's off to you because they are super intense and it's delicious, but it's, it's like dessert. And it's one of those beers that I always joke about. You pour it over some ice cream and you would have yourself a nice little day of it. Um, but it's very, it's very good. It's just, it's very intense. I have a Russian Imperial stout from, Iron Hill Brewery in my fridge downstairs. Iron Hill was a brewery slash restaurant that started in Delaware and has moved to Jersey and PA, and it's kind of a chain now. But they make pretty good beers. My buddy Matt brought this beer over to me, and I just haven't found the right opportunity to open it. It's one of the big bottles. Oh yeah, because it's twelve percent. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so strong. Like I want to have two or three buddies to like drink it with me because I don't want to drink it all myself. No, you'll you'll be dead. <laughs> We'll make for next the next morning will be miserable. Anyway, let's get to these picks. We have a handful of ACC games. The Pac-12 is back. However, um, we're not picking any of their games because none of them are that interesting. That's right. It's uh, not the best slate to kick off the season. Yeah, for them. you got Oregon and Stanford going at it, but like Stanford isn't Stanford of five years ago right now. I, I will be interested. There's a lot of hype around Oregon and there has been for a bit now yeah. and they are recruiting out of their minds right now. Cristobal, man, he, he knows how to recruit. Yeah. So I'll be interested to see what they look like, but the actual matchup itself is not all that. Yeah. The only other PAC 12 game I thought was a little interesting was the uh, Arizona state USC. Yeah. And USC's ranked it's in, it's at USC and USC is, uh, over double-digit favorites against Arizona State. Um, but no, we're not going to pick any of those games. We're going to start with Miami at NC State. And yeah, we're going to stick to the ACC. We got one outside the conference uh, pick at the end. NC State, 10.5-point underdogs in Raleigh. We talked about the advantages for the home teams this year, and picking home dogs can be uh, a winning proposition, but not here. I'm going to go with Miami to cover. Yeah, I have... Um... And I'm just looking somehow my phone did not update my picks. I actually did them all in advance and kind of looked into it. I have Miami in this game. And I think NC State went on a little bit of a run after the loss to us. And they started to play better. But 
if, if Miami really wants to try and make a run at things, I think this is a huge game for them. I think they're going to try and put up yeah. some points. So I'm going with uh, Miami as well. UNC at Duke. Duke, again, the exact same spread, 10.5 point underdogs at home. And this is a big rivalry. So I'm going to take Duke and the 10.5. I don't feel great about it, but UNC just lost to UVA. UVA prides themselves on defense and a pass rush. What does Duke do well? The only thing they do well is a pass rush. So I'm going to go with Duke to cover. I have Duke as well. It's a it's a big game, and this is an important game for UNC, and I understand that because if they lose this, all of their kind of hopes and dreams for the season are kind yeah. of flushed down the toilet with those two losses. So I think, but I think Duke can keep this within 10 it might be a little Doesn't bit unc still have to play notre dame and miami i think yeah they could yeah, have it's, two more losses after this it's duke wake forest notre dame at home and then at miami for unc so i might change my, <laughs> even wake I might ch- like that's gonna be pick. kind of a, a dicey game for them too so uh i'm gonna go with duke to cover but unc all of a sudden with that loss at florida state and the loss uh to uva i mean they could be in trouble. Yeah. And I do think the biggest point of that is UVA is starting to find their footing a little bit in their offense, which was abysmal to start off the season. But I I think, I still think Duke, given that this is a big in-state game for them, will, will be able to keep it close. But if UNC loses this game, they are in deep doo-doo. They could end up taking, they could end up taking five losses this season from a team that a lot of people were saying was right outside the cusp of being a playoff school. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they need to start getting their stuff right. So BC at Syracuse is the next game. There's another home dog, Syracuse, 14 point underdogs to BC. The one thing that concerns me about BC in this game, because we talked about how bad Syracuse is, is Jerkovic got beat up yep. last week in that game, like really beat up. And now you got to go to the Carrier Dome after just going to Clemson, South Carolina. That's not a great combination, and it's two touchdowns. Mm, I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking BC. I think, I think Halfley's kind of got this team playing well, which is a little bit dangerous for everybody. He does. He they, he has them pretty focused. That was. It was a loss, and it was a game that they were up by 18 at one point, I think BC was. So it's definitely heartbreaking for them. But there's no way you're not walking away from that game feeling really good. It's Clemson, and I know it's their backup quarterback, but he's also arguably, by some people talking about him, as one of the best recruits they've ever seen, period. Just like full stop, best recruits they've ever seen. So there's not... There's a fall off from Trevor Lawrence, obviously, but still pretty good guy under center. I'm going to go Syracuse to cover. Uh, something about the spot. It's nothing nothing having to do with the quality of these teams in general, but just the spot for BC, uh, an old Northeast rivalry. I'm going to take Syracuse at home to cover. Next game, Pitt at Florida State. Florida State, two-and-a-half-point favorites. I didn't think I'd see Florida State as a favorite this season. Oh, my goodness. How things have changed is pretty incredible. And Pitt is having a bad year, man. They're four losses in a row, right? Four losses in a row. I had them I had them 
picked and I was pretty sure I was going to go with it, but then they just lost, um, um, uh, what's his name? The, they, the guy that just said he was out for COVID for the rest of the year. Oh, Paris Ford. Paris Ford. Sorry. Um, and he just opted out, which is not, first of all, that is, he was a big morale guy for them, a big juice to that, that team. Leading tackler. Leading tackler. And then just says, I'm done. There, that cannot do a lot for morale. And I thought it was funny. I was listening to cover three today and they said, no, people are increasingly don't like Narduzzi. Imagine what Narduzzi's like after four losses and then his best player on the team opting out. What kind of yeah. what kind of culture is going on in that locker room? Maybe they all come around and, you know, do one of those things, but I don't think so. I think I'm going to go FSU. You've got a perfect excuse this year to get away from a bad culture or a losing team or whatever because and the cover 3 guys said this like you got to get swabbed five times a week. You're constantly tested. The travel, you're losing. Your coach is on your ass. Uh, there's no hope of you doing anything special. You're you're pit. You've lost four games in a row, and he quit on him. Like I listen, COVID aside, he was he was cool with COVID until they had a losing streak. Right. So that just shows me that Narduzzi is a pain in the ass to play with. That your best player quits halfway through the year. I want to take Florida State. Okay. Well, I guess we're we're aligned. We'll either both look stupid or look like geniuses. Next game, I just like talking crap on Pitt. And you know I'm going to get the pick wrong. <laughs> so oh, maybe no. you should go the I'm other way. I'm on the same side as you. Oh no. I'm back up to I'm back up to exactly 500 on the year. I've the last nice. 4 weeks I've done pretty well. So it started real bad. I think I went 1 for 8 in like one of our big weeks. It was so terrible. I think two weeks ago I was bad. I think this past week I did okay. Yeah, you did. Um, Louisville at UVA. So the team we just beat going to play UVA, coming off the big win. UVA two and a half point favorites at home. This is a strength on strength. You know, you got the Louisville offense going up against the UVA defense. This is a really hard pick. I I'll let you go bet, first. I wouldn't bet this with, like I always say, somebody else's money if I was no. actually gambling. So take this pick from both of us with a grain of salt because I don't know what the hell is going to happen in this game. UVA is coming off, you know, an impressive streak of, of decent play, a good game, and beating UNC. But after what I saw against Louisville, I think that they're going to come out. And I think that that offense can put something together that could take down Bronco and this UVA team, even though their strength is their defense. I, if I was UVA, I wouldn't be feeling very confident after seeing what the Hokies just had to deal with. No. And, and Louisville might be missing a lot of those defensive linemen. Again, it's, it's hard to say. However, that offense, it comes at you and keeps coming and keeps coming. I'm going to take Louisville. They're getting points. I'll take Louisville to cover two and a half. Clemson at Notre Dame, less than a touchdown. Are you tempted? Um, I should say, is this a hands-down pick for you to take Clemson, or are you tempted to take Notre Dame without Trevor Lawrence? I I, I picked Clemson last week, and I look like an idiot. You picked it right, and you had BC. I had Clemson, and I was wrong there. So I don't know. They. But you didn't know about Trevor when we did the picks. No, we didn't. We didn't. And I probably would have swapped my 
pick based on that because I do think BC is a, a pretty good team. I got to go Clemson here. I I just I just I just think that there is it's it sucks to to lose arguably the best player in college football and maybe in the past few years the best player in college football, but I don't know. What it's I think they can pull this one off and I think they need to pull this one off and shoving it down Brian Kelly's throat, I feel like is something that Dabo would would like to do. This is going back to my preseason prediction that I thought Clemson could win the regular season in the ACC, or sorry, that Notre Dame could win the regular season in the ACC. That's what I said. It was my going against the grain pick that I think over the entire season, Clemson's losses on the offensive line, the losses at the wide receiver position, and the young defense were going to be a problem for them. They were going to be more susceptible than they had been in years. So I'm going to go with Notre Dame, not just because of the preseason pick, but now you're getting the game without Trevor Lawrence. And I know this DJ kid is, he throws a rocket and he's really good, but that Notre Dame defense is very good as well. And I don't believe in Ian Book all the time, but I think that Notre Dame can do enough to win this game at home. They're getting points at home against a team without all their players. And so I'm and their key most key player. So I'm gonna take Notre Dame to cover the five and a half, and I think they're gonna win. I bet you would like that spread to be a little bit bigger though. <laughs> yes, I would. I would if I was gonna take the money line. It was like seven and a half, I think, when it opened, or it got bought down. Maybe just over six. But uh but yeah, it's come down a little. I will be interested to see where the money goes throughout the week on that Clemson Notre Dame game. Because I think the spread comes down because Notre Dame does have so many fans and that like to bet. It's just like a Michigan or whatever where it doesn't always make sense, but you kind of, oh, yeah, they have a lot of fans that are always betting on them to win, and that's why the spread comes down. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it would be a, it would game, be a massive, massive win for Notre Dame if they, if they took down Clemson. Here, I mean, so. if you're Brian Kelly, you got to tell this team, like, this is your opportunity. You're playing one of the premier brands in the sport without their starting quarterback. If you don't take advantage of this, it's a huge miss. Yeah, and and I and I think they might be receptive to that. Yeah, so. because even if say that you lose, okay, guys. Well, guess what? When you make it to the ACC championship, assuming that we can still do that, Trevor Lawrence is going to be back for that game. Yeah. Absolutely. So if you can't do it now, when they're you're not doing it then, they're definitely not doing it then. Florida versus Georgia, world's largest outdoor COVID party. Yes, COVID party. <laughs> that's that's what that's going to be. In one of in uh, one of the safest states in the United States uh, yes, right now, yes. obviously with uh, the way that we've seen COVID numbers uh, handled in Florida. Florida is three and a half point underdogs, though. In some ways, I think a lot of people think they should be the favorites. I, I they have a more balanced team than Georgia does at the moment. Georgia has that great defense and Stetson Bennett on offense, not quite getting it done. I'll use your line that you always throw out there. This line stinks. It stinks. This line is (laughs) smelly feet. There is something weird going on, but yeah, I guess, and not to harp on them too much, but it's like the cover three today talked about, 
everything on paper says Florida is going to win this game. Everything that you can possibly go through. Stinson Bennett is not good. Let's just put it gently, not good, bad. And Florida, they they seem to be playing well. They have all the tools to do this. If their defense steps up, they're not a Georgia defense, but they're good. It could be really interesting. I have to just go Florida for the sake of, I think they're going to win the game. And it's going to be 21 17 or something completely stupid and low scoring, but I do think that they end up pulling it out. Yeah. The reason everyone's down on Georgia, not just from earlier in the year, but particularly last game, I think is why most people are down on them. They only beat Kentucky 14 to three, but Kentucky, we know uglies up a game plays good defense. And so maybe, uh, that's what the betters have taken into account. I'm going to go with Georgia to cover the three and a half and win. Uh, I know that seems a little crazy, but I think it stinks, as you hinted at. I totally agree. And when it stinks in this direction, I'm going with Georgia. I do think that Florida is susceptible on defense much more than Kentucky. Yeah. And so maybe Bennett can put up 21 points. And I think it's possible Georgia can hold Florida below you know, 17 or something. So we'll see. All right, that's going to do it for the podcast. We are so happy we got that win on the road. Even though it wasn't perfect, we we needed it. And now we've got a chance to beat Liberty and then go up against a very, very good Miami team and put us back in the national spotlight. These next two weeks, you really can't overemphasize how important they are for the program. I mean, a chance to beat a ranked team and then turn around and play another ranked team both at home that opportunity doesn't come around very often. So this is this is big for us, and I want more than anything to go into that Miami game with a little bit of juice off a ranked win, maybe even ranked ourselves, and then take them down. You can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT, Instagram at 2DVT as well, and then 2DVT.com is the website. You can go there, stream all the podcasts, and check the beers and Robbie's stats that he toils away at every every week <laughs> that's right Toil, toils away at all the stats that you didn't know that you need that's how i always put it and but <laughs> i always right. learn that's something right. every week and it gives me more appreciation for what's actually happening uh, versus just the box score of 10 for 10 or or a bad day so i love it no it's definitely a little bit more in-depth account and and they are fun to look at and then lastly, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Find us on Spotify, etc. And until next time, when hopefully we're celebrating a big, large margin of victory over Liberty, go Hokies. Go Hokies.